Well, Heavenly Father, we want to believe that tonight. We don't want to just know it to be true. And so I ask that you would awaken hearts to life over the reality that you love us, that it wouldn't be so known that we miss it, but that we would actually really believe this truth, Lord. So would you just rest your presence here? I pray that you would just wrap your arms of incredible love around each of us and let us all have a taste of it in a deeper way that when we walk out of this place, we wouldn't question it. We wouldn't try to earn it. We would just receive it and be lighter in our weight because of it. In Jesus Christ's powerful name, amen. I love that song. Um, yeah, help yourself to treats and water and whatever else you need. Um, I just believe God wants to remind us and refresh us in his love tonight. I can't get off of it. I don't want to ever get over it. Um, and it's just something I think is worth diving a little bit deeper into. Um, it's possible to be so surrounded by something that you miss it entirely. So living in Atlanta, maybe even be surrounded by the idea that God loves us, and maybe since our childhood, and yet miss it entirely. Um, and so I think tonight it's, it's worth spending time in just letting him describe and define his love once again and making it fresh again from being so, Jesus loves me, this I know. Yeah, you might know it, but there's a big difference in knowing Jesus loves you and believing Jesus loves you. Entirely, entirely different. Um, so we're going to be in 1 John 4, if you want to turn there. Um, and we're just going to look at a, a section of verses in 1 John chapter 4. But as you turn there, there's, there's a section in John 8 that gives three verbs. It says, basically, abide in God's word, know the truth, and be set free. And if you abide in God's word, you will know the truth. They're synonymous. And when you know the truth, you will have freedom. And so tonight, obviously, we just want to sit and bank on his love tonight. That's the truth. And not just skip over it like it's common, but really abide in it. Know it to be true. And I believe all of us in here... Um, and I've been thinking about this for about a week now, um, out of abiding in that truth and knowing it and believing it to be true, we will know freedom and fullness in areas where we are bound and we are empty. Because every single one of us in here has areas, whether you're going to mention them or not, that are bound and are empty. And the only filler for that, the only gap bridge for that freedom that you really want and that fullness that you really need is his love. Um, human love won't do it. And as much as I love being married, as much as I have incredible friends, as much as I love y'all and I love establisher, human love will run out. It will disappoint you. It will die. I had one of my dear, dear friends from college, her mother, who I was really close to, um, radical lover of the Lord. She died um, 
kind of suddenly, she was battling cancer, but it looked like they had got it under control. And I, I got a text message, and I'll never forget it. And then I responded to the text message and then proceeded to send that text that Teresa McNeil has died to my family. And, um, and it just was so surreal. And I'm like, Lord, as much as I love her and as much as she loved me and Megan, human love dies. And it's, it can disappoint you. Sometimes it can even destroy you. And so the very thing of love, which, I mean, as a woman, it is integral to who we are, okay? That need, that desire for love that we really believe is going to bring freedom and fullness can only do that when human love is a secondary issue and divine love is first. And um, so I just, I just want y'all to sit in it right now, no matter where you are, no matter what the week holds, it is a Monday. Obviously, it's, it's tense, right? It's the beginning of a week. Just sit, even if you have to close your eyes, in the reality right now that God of the world, he is really real, he is alive. He radically is in love with you. He does not just love you. He is radically in love. He's obsessed like he enjoys you. He craves you. He craves your company. He longs to make much of you, to brag on you, to, to lavish you in his love. It isn't just a theological stance that I am loved by God. It's so much more than that. It's the fact that he is in love with us. And I remember even being courted by my husband, um, there is this difference in a, in a relationship when obviously he first said, I love you. But there was this other thing that happened when he said, I am in love with you. There was something about that preposition. I don't know what it was. I am in love with you. That it was like, he, that, that's so powerful to me. And as beautiful and sacrificial and amazing, and I believe divine originated my love is from Josh, and Josh is to me, it has a limit. And there is a possibility of being out of that love, being out of that feeling. But when you think about Jesus and Jesus being in love with you, he will never be out of love with you, ever. You might be out of love with him. He will never be out of love with you because he is in love with you. He is not just the lover of the world, John 3, 16. He is in love with you. By name, all of your issues, all of your beauties, everything about you, he is madly in love with it. He made it. He fashioned it. He chose it. It gives glory to him. It glory is tied to how much he loves you. And it's just beautiful. Let that land tonight. Let that carry you. Let that trickle down from being this conceptual, yes, I know God loves me. Yes, he loves the world. Like that's so conceptual, right? It's so up here. But it's got to come down to reality, to where we really believe it to be true and not just know it theologically, or just because you're supposed to know it, well, duh, of course, God loves me, you know. There's way more to his love than that. 
Um, so, you're in 1 John, right? 1 John chapter 4. Let's start in verse 7. And I'm going to read um, to about verse 19, and then we're going to back up and just digest some of this stuff. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved. So he even starts, breathed through the author of John with naming us beloved. Pretty powerful. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Pretty straightforward. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the substitution, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he's given us his spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. Verse 16. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him or her. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So you heard the word beloved a couple times. You heard the word abide a ton. Obviously love is throughout here. So at the very beginning, he defines love. God is love. And even those three words, can, you can miss it because they're so simple, but there's so much more than those three words. Love is God, and God is love. You want the definition of love, it's God. You want the definition of God, it's love. That really is what that is saying. God is love, verse 8. That's why it's so powerful to think that God doesn't just feel love for you. Love is not a feeling. God doesn't just do loving things because love isn't an action. At the core of what it is, it is not an action. It is not a feeling. It is a being. Love is a person. And somehow, in our little finite kind of human type brains, we have dumbed love down to being an emotion and a feeling or a decision or a right 
act to someone who deserves it or whatever, a loving thing. That is so not what love is. Love is God, and God is love. And God, love, actively loves you. Like capital L, love. The entire being of love is set towards you. Not just, I'm going to do nice things for them, and I'm going to answer their prayers, and I'm going to be a good father that disciplines them, and I'm just going to do these things because I have a love for them. He, it, it defines who he is. So his love for you is actually rooted in the definition of who he is. It has nothing to do with what he wants to give or, or how he wants to display his love, if that makes sense. It has to do with who he is. And that's what's so powerful about letting this trickle in, that God, God, love, capital L, has affection towards me. He set to love me because it's who he is. And even in my prayers lately, I've just kind of been calling him love. Good morning, love. Love, you are near me. Love, you hear me. Like, you're so much more than I could imagine. And forgive me for thinking of love and diminishing it down to being an action you show me or a feeling you have towards me. It's who he is. And that's set on us, which means it's who we can be. That's pretty crazy. So let's look at verse, um, let's see. Let's kind of start in verse 7 a little bit. He starts with an action, a command. Let us love one another. So a lot of Christians can spend their life on that part. Christian life is loving one another. Well, it is, but there's a comma after that. It does not stop there. The sentence isn't done. Because he's actually going to give you the how-to. How do you love one another? How do you do that? Well, beloved, let us love one another, comma, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And then he breaks it apart again and talks about this idea of abiding in God, abiding in love, then therefore you will love. Sorry, Sarah. It was jumping out of me. Yeah. And both those things are true, but here's the crazy thing. So that command, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Here's the amazing thing. 1 John 4 is the how-to to Deuteronomy 6. That's the connection. It's not that your Christian life and my Christian life is focused on loving God and loving others, and loving myself last. Those are all true, but that's not the emphasis. Read verse 19 again, right? Verse 19 of 1 John 4. We love, why? We love God, we love other people, we love ourselves, that's to be determined. We're going to talk about that. I don't know if we really do love ourselves. But why do those three things happen? Verse 19 says it. We only can love, we 
only can do Deuteronomy 6. Why? What's the next part of verse 19? Because it's always been him first. Always. Love is always Christ-centered. It has nothing to do with being self-centered. But that's what's crazy is, is again, it's innocent and it's, it's unintentional for the most part, but you can actually make Deuteronomy 6 self-centered. Loving the Lord your God, if you focus on that and you try your hardest to love God, to love others, and to love yourself, you will wear yourself out. And it will come to an end because that's really human love. It's originating in here, whether it's innocent and unintentional and pure or not. The shift, which I believe this chapter, amongst many others, invites us to believe, is that there is a greater power in living out of his love for us than there is in living in our love for him. You can focus and spend a lot of your life, and I did that years ago, unaware. And a lot of my life, I lived out of my love for God. And I was known for loving people, loving God. Loving myself, that's a bigger issue. It's a bigger battle, and I think for women in general it is, and we're going to touch on it. But those two things, loving God, loving others, Sarah Ott's name was synonymous with that. But here's the crazy thing. I was exhausted because I had not yet let the love of God for me eclipse my love for him. I was living, and it was true, out of how much I did love God, but see, it's limited when that's all you really know of love and that's kind of your definition of love and it's duty and it's active and it's busy and it's full and it's you towards God and you about God. It really isn't Christ-centered. It actually is self-centered. And it rocked me. And I can remember where I was two, two times in my life, one time at 17, one time at 23, both, I, mean, I was in Tennessee one time, I was in Texas the other. And I can distinctly remember like a paradigm shift, like a, a total tidal wave. If you can picture even bigger than a tidal wave, what's, what's it called, typhoon, okay, where they come in and just totally take over a city. That is the image that I had on these two different occasions in the very two different seasons of my life. God's love for me was like a typhoon over my head, and I was standing under it, under it, just destroyed by it in the best of ways. And it was his love for me that was blowing up my heart more than how much I love you. Do y'all see the difference? And it, it changes everything. It absolutely changes everything when you allow God to love you, number one, um, and when you focus your entire Christian life, if I can use that term, your entire identity is totally focused on how much Jesus loves me. And when you think on that, guess what happens? Loving others happens. Loving God absolutely happens. Loving yourself totally occurs. But not the other way around. 
So again, Deuteronomy, right, was pre-Jesus. It is the greatest command, but it was pre-Jesus. It was pre-the how-to. And Jesus is our how, through his spirit, of actually doing that. Because he's saying, if you will just but receive my love first, if you will dwell on, abide in, that's what that word means, think on, brag about, talk about, have it on your lips so often, how much I love you, more than all you're doing for me, it will change your life. It will change you in the process. It did. It did for me. Um, there's three things I wrote down that I think a lot of us in here battle over. The first one is loving ourselves is hard. The second one is loving others is optional. The third one is loving God is expected. And at some point in your life, if you have not waged war in one of these areas, you will. To where loving others or loving yourself is difficult. There will be a season, if there has not already been, where loving yourself brings a conflict. It, it's, it's a strange thing. Oh, but conceptually, oh, I know God loves me. Absolutely. I know God loves me. I love God. But there is this secret hidden battle over here of, man, loving me is hard. Y'all, that's a disconnect then. That's not being perfected in love. And the love we're talking about, that's not the same. So I would venture to say that if a person, a woman in this case, is battling over these areas of loving others, Lord, the first issue is have you yet really let God love you? Have you focused on how much he loves you? Or has the majority of your life been how much you've loved him? Because if that's the story, then these three things will be, they'll be hard for you. And I think we can seasonally bounce in and out of these. Um, I think there's maturity in all of these that we can grow in. Loving <coughs> others is optional. I think we know that, can, again, theologically, it's more than a suggestion to love people. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, duh, no-brainer, no Jesus loved you, you ought to love them. We just miss the Jesus loved you part entirely. And we try out of our own effort to love people. And it, again, it's very self-centered. And the Lord, when, when he crashes over you like a tidal wave of his love, and you just sit in it, like just let it crash over you, you will, you will not feel that way again. You will not have this battle and this effort, dutiful type approach to loving others and for sure to loving him to loving God. That is the farthest thing from obligated, the farthest thing from duty. When you live out of God's love for you more than you live out of your love for God, loving God is natural. And it goes beyond being natural. It's contagious. It's passionate. It's like, I want whatever she has. I, I love that. Well, you know, all it is, is I live out of God's love for me. That's all it is. It's not man, she loves God so much. Well, she loves because he first loved her. And she's living out of the first of God. His affection was first set on her. 
That's what defines her. That's what fuels her. That's what creates fruit from her life. Not the other way around. Don't miss that. Because in light of his love, loving yourself is automatic. It's easy. Loving others is natural. Loving God is effortless. Look back at 1 John. Look at the prepositions in verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested where? What does that preposition say? Does it say that it was manifested to us? In. His love, if you're a child of God, so that's kind of who I'm talking to here. This isn't a blanket statement. This is his banner over us as love as children of God. If you're a child of God, the love of God has been manifested not by you, has nothing to do with you, not even to you, in you. That's, that's crazy. So that, keep reading, God, so that, you know, because he sent his own begotten son into the world, so that, what? You might live, where's the other preposition? Not for. Not that you might live for him. What does it say? Through him. You see, that's the paradigm shift. Living out of God's love for us is living in his love and through his love. Not living for and by. Does that mean it's, it's so much more than semantics? I know it can sound really nitpicky when you get down to it, but when you read the scripture and you be, begin to digest it, the prepositions are secrets. They're keys to this. Because in our mentality, without even thinking twice about it, we can be all wrapped up in loving God and living for God and even worse, living for and by the love of other people that you miss the power that's transformational of living in God's love so that you would live through love, capital L, the name of God. It's never about our behavior, verse 10. I love it. In this is love. And then he gives a little parenthesis here, and he says, I'm going to tell you what it's not first. I'm going to give you a contrast first. This is not love. Not what? Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Just another way of saying verse 19. He's doing everything he can in his gentlemanly way to take our mind from this, this way of living to a new perspective. And if you will but let that happen, it will change you, I'm telling you. It will change everything about your life. So then skip down to verse 16, which is the whole crux of this entire chapter. And this verse has riveted me for a long time because it, it carries a lot of weight in this verse. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. He repeats it again. And the one who abides in love abides in God. They are one and the same. And God abides in him. Mine says, 
love it. And the love God has for us. That is so powerful. So think about that, that word rely. So we know and rely on our love for God. Is that what that says? We at, no. Yeah, Read it again. And rely on the love God has for us. And rely on the love God has for us. Y'all, that, is, that should bring freedom area of your life. If you really begin to rely and believe on the love God has for you, more than you rely on your love for God, which let's just be totally frank, okay? Our loves shift based on what we eat, based on what time of month. I, I mean, no joke. Like, it's, it is for real. I can be an entirely different person hormonally, chemically. It's, it's, I, I don't even recognize myself at times. And God's going, just, just for a second, kind of play devil's advocate. Why in the world would we base our entire Christianity, our identity, our definition of love on our love that is unbelievably shifty and not take God at his word and say, no, my whole life, my whole focus, my whole mindset has got to be wrapped up in how much you love me. And that's what I'm relying on today. That's what I'm relying on tomorrow is how much you love me not how much I love you. Because if you do that, it's going to dead end pretty quickly. Because the interesting thing is we conditionally love God. So therefore, we think he conditionally loves us. And that right there begins to actually define for you who you think God is, not who he said he is. He said he's love, agape, unconditional, the breath and being itself of love, but when we rely on our love for God, which is very conditional, we can begin to portray that on him and begin to feel, oh, well, then God loves me conditionally. You see, we're putting it all on him because it's really self-centered love. It's us about him. That's what fills our mind. Or for that matter, man, I haven't loved God well. Man, I haven't done my part. It's all self. It's all with us at the center. And he's saying, here, I want to shift you. I want to change that. I want to set you free. I want to make you not exhausted. I want to excite you. I want to fill you. And to do that, I want you to believe and rely on my love for you from here on out, forever. Never to go back. That's your point of reference. I'm living in and out of his love for me. So let's just do a quick contrast Quick comparison. Our love versus his. Draw a line down the paper. Our love, his love. What's some of the first qualities or characteristics that you can think of of our love? In your mind, think about your own love for dogs, for people. Think about your love for the Lord. What, what are some of those qualities that fall under our love category? Totally. That was one of my first ones. Okay, conditional. What else? Limited, absolutely. It has a dead end. It has a breaking point. Atlanta traffic. In, end your love in a moment, right? <laughs> Argument, end your love in a moment. I wrote down, because of that, it's reserved. Our love is selective. 
I can pick and choose. I, I'll just decide not to love you today. And I don't want that. I would never automatically say that out loud, but that's what's happening. Totally. Because I'm relying on my love, my strength, me, 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 self-centered, self-centered. But when you let the love of God trickle in and you live in and out of his love for you, it's Christ-centered. What else is our love? What other words come to your mind? Fickle. Fickle, totally. 100%. Shifty. Sand versus rock. Broken. Broken. Yeah, it's not whole. It's not complete. Fearful. Oh, yeah. It's a great one. Flawed. I wrote down self-benefiting. Our love at the core of it is just self-benefiting. What can you do for me? What can I do for you? What can I gain or what might I lose? Let, let me weigh the options. Let me reserve my love. Oh, let me lavishly give my love because that'll propel me or whatever. Y'all, and that's, that's at a horizontal level. That's how we treat each other. So, of course, we treat God that way. And it is foolish and exhausting and the farthest thing from freeing and full to live your life based on your love for God. It's dangerous. It's scary. Versus his love. So when you think of his love, when you think of everything you know from the scripture, when you think of everything you've experienced, hopefully you have, what are some of the qualities that come to your mind about his love? Unwavering, absolutely. Never-ending, yes. Consistent, totally. What else? His love. This is the love that's set on you. What, what, what describes it? It's perfect. Not flaw in it. It's freeing. It's freeing. Caring. Totally. It's unique you. It's not just God loved the world. God loves Meg's world. God loves Meg's heart. That's, it's personal. What else? Yeah. In its nature. It's not even based on your behavior needs forgiving, so he's going to forgive you. He is love, right? 1 Corinthians 13, just put Jesus in, the, in front of it all. If Jesus is love, and love is Jesus, then 1 Corinthians 13 is not just a wedding passage. It's the description of Jesus. It's his character. He's patient, he's kind, he's forgiving, he's long-suffering. He is these things toward you and forever will be because it's his DNA. So powerful. I had a lot of those. Uh, I had healing. His love is healing. His love is stable. It's secure. Our love is very insecure. Very insecure. But his love is stabilizing. It's like sustenance. It's totally full of, of something that our love is not. And it is solid. Radical. Yes, it's radical. It's contagious. It's passionate. Y'all, his love is not just an idea. It's not just, you know, for lack of a better word, just this older gentleman proper love because he's God. Like, it's it's crazy. It's reckless. Read Song of Solomon. It's, it's 
vivid, it's raw and beautiful and intimate. That is his love. It is not just reverent. It is reckless. It is nuts. It's crazy. That's the power of Jesus being in love with you. That, that phrase to me encapsulates that for some reason, more than God loves me. I don't know why, but those two things sound different to me. God is in love with me versus God loves me. They carry two different weights. And that second one carries the weight of it is fast-paced and, and reckless and risky and crazy and take your breath away kind of love. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Not boring, Christian, Baptist, churchy, supposed to love. Like where in the world do we get that? That is not in here. Like the love that's described in here, God, how he's described in here, which is the key of reading and abiding the word of God, it will change you. It will wreck you in the best of ways. But I think if we're, if we're not careful, we start assuming who God is and we assume who love is based on, based on other people's experiences or what they think or what they've read. And we really haven't ultimately gone to the horse's mouth, gone right here to the source and said, Jesus, who are you? Who, what is your love? Who is your love? You show that to me. Reveal it to me. He will do it. And he'll never stop. You open that door and he will just totally barge in and tidal wave over you with his love for you. And his love for you will purify you. It will clean you. It doesn't just applaud everything you do in your life. It, it will purge you. But I'm telling you, his love will heal you. It'll change you. It'll shift your perspective. It, it informs you. His love, y'all, informs us. At least it's supposed to. Not our love for him. That's not super informing. That is not super worth trusting. It's fickle. It changes when it rains. I mean, think about Seattle. Think about London, even. They have higher suicide rates. The weather. Literally, it's a real epidemic of weather-changing attitudes. And you cannot feel love. You, can't, you don't feel as good. You don't express that when it's dreary or rainy. God's love is entirely other. I mean, we are talking about a whole different just entity of love. And that's what I want you to experience. That's what I want you literally even tonight, maybe even for the first time, let that trickle in. That bigness, the magnitude of that love, totally for you personally. It'll forever alter you as it did me. I want you to write down six things. Um, these all have a scripture reference because I don't want it to just be opinion. Even though everything we've said is true, I want to back it up with his word because what he says about himself is what matters. And he calls himself love. And so he gives his own love qualities. He gives his own love character traits. And we're going to read some of those. Six things. We're not going to turn all to them, but I'll give you the reference. Romans 5, 8, his love is unconditional, obviously. There is a, this is not exhaustive. There are a million verses that will describe his love. But I just picked these six for some reason. So Romans 5, 8, conditional love. Second thing I have down that we actually didn't mention, it's kind of a unique one. It's a little weird. It's lively. 
So I want you to turn to Ephesians 2 because I've got to show you where I get this from. His love is lively. Like I said, it's not this boring sit in a pew here. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, and he just painted a pretty grim scenario of all of our lives pre, pre-Jesus, okay, in verses 1 through 3. But verse 4 says, but God. So he's obviously tidal wave shift, bad account of where we were in verses 1 through 3, and now there's a but God moment, comma, being rich in mercy because of his great love. Could have said love. It says great love. So that's our first indication. This is magnitude. This is big. This is other. This is wild and crazy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. So again, it's not just generic. It is personal. It is targeted. It is coming after you. Even when we were dead in our sin, transgressions, this love, capital L, did what? Made us alive. Y'all, his love will make you alive. That's what that song was saying. It is awakening hearts to life. That's what it is to encounter the love of God. Our love for God is anything, if you're really honest, but lively. It's exhausting. It's tiring. It's guilt-ridden. It's behavior-based. It's the farthest thing from life. His love makes us alive. And to focus on his love for us, his love for me. And that just fills my thoughts, fills my prayers. That will create this burst of life. It will ignite you in a way nothing else can. And out of that place, marital love can happen. Out of that place, self-love, body image health can happen. Out of that place, out of that reality, loving others can happen. But only in that order. Does that make sense? It's lively love. It's not just this get through it, survival, I'm going to love you because I have to, because I'm God. No, it's alive. Psalm 36, 7, it's unfailing. And I just wrote out here, there's no heartache attached. There's no heartache attached to the love of God. And I know there's going to be moments where you think he has hurt you, and you think he has broken your heart, and you think he has let you down. But if you really were to eat that season, that whatever it was, circumstance, maybe it was a person, I don't know. If you really were to evaluate that and why you were feeling that on him, why were you feeling that he let you down or that his love wasn't enough, I guarantee it, the root of that is you portraying on him your emotions, your love, your lack of. It's never him. He never knows lack. He never knows dead end. His love never ceases or stops. And so it's unfailing. And it's not unfailing because you feel it or not. It's unfailing because it's unfailing. Because it's God. So powerful. Jeremiah 31.3. It's everlasting. Now this is important. God's love is not eternal. 
It's everlasting, and that's different. This will change you if you understand the meaning of these two words. Do y'all know what eternal means? What do you think is the difference, take a guess, between eternal and everlasting? Okay. So what would that mean about eternal? There's a beginning. There's a start, right? We will have eternal life. John 17, if you come to know Jesus, this is eternal life that you would know him. We do not have everlasting life. Why? We, weren't, we, we were all born, I'm assuming, right? Okay, we all had a start date, a birthday, right? God never did. Love does not have a birth date. It does not have a beginning. It does not have an end. Everlasting has no beginning and no end. That's why it's important to see that his love is everlasting. The other part of that that, again, riveted me, it's I can't start his love and I can't end it. I cannot start his love for me and I cannot stop it. It's everlasting just in the nature of what it is. How comforting, how freeing and filling is that? That I can't start your love for me. I can't accelerate it. I can't stop it. There's not anything I can do to enhance it. Your love is everlasting. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you. It's God talking. I have loved you with an everlasting love, not eternal. So do not get in your head that you began God's love and that at some point, oh, he set his love on me at that moment. No, he didn't. He set his love on you before you were ever set on this earth. By name, oh, I'm going to save the, the world, and it just so happens to be Laura Wynn Mott in there. No, 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 no. No, he set his love on us with everlasting love before we ever existed. And he knew every hair, every story, every tear, every shape, every pound, everything about us. He knew it with everlasting love. Y'all, that is, oh, that just, that makes me alive. That just changes me. First um, John 4.18, right here in this passage, Meg, you said it. It's perfect love, slash, it's fearless. His love is perfect, therefore fearless. His love is not scared of your behavior. He is not put off or surprised by your shiftiness. His love is perfect. Not ours, not ours for him, as pure innocent as it might be, but his love for us is perfect. And if you and I would but come to know and believe that, <coughs> we would be perfected in that love. We would actually have fear eradicated from our life. Who does not want that? I want to live fearless. In the times where I'm living fearful, am I living in God's love for me? No. There's a simple answer. Just simple as that. Next time you feel fear, on any issue, confess, Lord, I am not living in your love for me. Because if I was living in your love for me, your everlasting, your unconditional, your total providing, all-encompassing, good, kind, personal love for me, I would not be fearful. Your love doesn't come with fear. It's perfect. So either God's word lies 
or we've believed a lie. God's word doesn't lie. Perfect love casts out fear. There's no room for fear in perfect love. So, I mean, nip that in the bud. Whatever you're fearing, fearing being in a group of people, you're fearing going to that thing, you're fearing what they're going to say, then you start with a confession. I'm living more in my love for you, and gosh, forget that. I'm living more in people's love for me and their lack of love than I am ever thinking about your love for me. Change it. Shift my perspective right now, Jesus. Perfect love, come in and eradicate my fear in Jesus' name. And just live out of his love for you. It'll change everything. 1 John 3, 1. You got to turn there. It's, it's, it's a really good one. Just flip over a couple. 1 John 3, 1. I love it. I love that it starts with C. Notice. Take visible account. Look at. Experience. See how great. There's that word again, y'all. It's a great love. Not pansy and lame. It's great. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. Gifted, set on. It's the idea of bestowed, targeted. That we should be called his children. That's love right there. So the last one I just put down, it's, it's, it's personal. It's fatherly. His love, you get to bear the last name of God. I mean, I can remember before I got married how much I wanted my last name to change because it indicated being chosen. It indicated, I don't know, value or worth or purpose or arrival. I don't know, whatever was in my head at 19 at the time. And then it's like I came back around full circle at that 23-year-old moment, my second moment of this tidal wave crashing of God's love for me. <coughs> when the Lord said, Sarah, your name has changed. My love being set on you gives you a new name. Like, you bear my love. Like, you, it's just on you. It's, it's for you. It's in you. It's all around you. Don't miss what's all around you. It's not this a thing you have to, to obtain. You already have it. And so the interesting thing that I, I thought then that I've kind of come back around to is we need what we already have then. If we need God's love and we're God's children, we already have it. So there's got to be a distinction then in knowing his love and believing his love. In that verse, if you flip back over to 1 John 4, 16, in that idea of we have come to know and have believed, it shows two distinct things. Knowing it is step one, duh, you've got to start there. But it isn't enough. It's phases. It's phase one. Phase two that has no ending is believing we have come to know and have believed, it's past tense, have believed God's love for us. Have you? I mean, a lot of us know his love for us. I would, I would venture to believe. You know his love for you, but that doesn't entirely capture the picture of believing it. Believing God's love for you. 
And so I love that your, your word, Meg, says rely because the, the Greek word for believe there is literally meaning to fully rely on as fact. It's not a hope. It's not we have come to know and hope God loves us. Y'all, I think there there are days that you live like you hope God loved you. Get that out of your head. That is not what this says. There are days and months and moments inviting us to live right now, forever, in believing as fact, relying on it as total reality, that he is in love with us. Let it sink in. It's not a hope. Of course, we've defined no a million times, and it does encompass the idea of knowing informationally, but it, it's still that famous Greek word of sexual almost, intimate, experiential, like coming together, knowing. That's the kind of level of knowing he wants you to begin with. And when you experience his love for you, there is no other option than to believe it. When it goes from this informational, distant, yeah, okay, God loves me, but, I mean, what are you talking about? I haven't had that moment at 17. I haven't had that moment at 23. Then ask him. Jeremiah 33, 3, just a couple chapters over, invites you. It says, call to me that I, may, that I might show you wondrous things. So I would invite you to ask him to show you his great love for you. And if you've never prayed it, tonight's a great night to pray it because it, it will change your life when you pray that prayer. Show me your love for me. Let me have a paradigm shift and live out of your love for me more than my love for you. It's that kind of knowing. And when you do, you will live a different way. Romans 8, 35 to 39, we know this verse. No height, no depth, no future, no present, no past, no thing, no spiritual reality, no physical deal can what? Can ever separate us from the love of God, which means even you can't separate you from the love of God. Again, that right there should free you and fill you, even me. There is nothing I can do or not do or say or not say or be or not be that could separate me from this love because God is love. He cannot separate himself. I mean, it's who he is. And we just happen to be the recipients of it. Turn with me to to Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3. And Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior, he will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Once again, these are not hopes. These are promises. These are realities. God will do these things. It's not an if. He will 
quiet you in his love. Listen to it in the New Living Translation. For the Lord your God is living among you right now. He is your personal mighty Savior. He will take great delight in you with gladness. And with his love, he will calm and silence all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That whole verse is a, is a promise, a check you can write, okay, and totally take to the bank to cash that God thoroughly enjoys you. It's proof right there. He totally enjoys you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. That's, that's even more crazy. He gets excited about you. He exalts over you with joy, not judgment, not fear, not scolding, not disappointment, not, oh, you didn't do as good. Let's try again better next time. He exalts. He joys over us because he is love. He doesn't retract his love and decide when to give it and not. That's not who he is. He is love, so he just does these things. He rejoices over you with shouts of joy. He's loud about his love for us. He's not quiet. He's not ashamed. Oh, there are times when we have been ashamed of our love for God, let me tell you. And we have been quiet. And think about Peter. Peter saw him. Peter walked with God. Peter was best friends with Jesus. He held his hand. He leaned into his chest. He heard his heartbeat, and he denied him three times. Hands down, I don't even know him. I'm retracting my love. I have no idea who that is. Totally shamed about his love for God. God is never shamed about his love for us. And in our mindset, we could have a laundry list of why we think he could be very shamed in loving us doesn't even enter his radar because of the blood of Jesus. So that's why this whole idea, the whole song, right, of this banner over me is love. That's for his children only. Yes, he loves the world, but his blood, the son's blood, covers us to the father's eyes, and his love is set on us because of Jesus. There is no shame in his love. There is no selection of I'm going to love Meg this much. I'm going to love Katie this much. Uh, I'm going to pull back a little bit from from loving her today because she didn't earn it. There is none of that. He is exalting with shouts of joy. He's loud, and I love it. He's not quiet in that sense in his love for us, but his love will quiet you. His love will calm you. His love will stop those thoughts from running amok and going crazy. It's not that his love is quiet and passive. It's that his love is radical and loud, and it will silence everything else out to make you quiet. So powerful. So when you have come to know and believe, and even that idea of coming to know and believe, it holds the idea of a process in those words. It isn't a birthright. You don't just, at three years old, just know and believe God's love for you. You might know Jesus loves me, this I know. But coming to know and believe his love for you, y'all, it's a process. 
And I guarantee you part of that process, if not the majority of it, will be the tension points and the craziness of life that he decides to use to actually reveal his love for you and to bring you all, including me, to the moment. And I hope you have one, and if you haven't, I pray you will, where if once and for all you answer the question between you and him, do I personally know and believe with a shadow of a doubt your love for me? There is a, a weight in those words of 1 John 4, 16. There is a process that that takes. And whatever you don't want to step into, whatever part of that process you don't like, I charge you, I challenge you, lean into it because it is all centered on his love and him wanting to waken you up to his love for you. Not beating you over the head, but lavishing his love on you. Lean into it. God steps into the moments you want to run away from with love, with total abandon. And sometimes, like I said, that love is full of some discipline. That's okay. That's fatherly love. Sometimes that love is full of purging and cleaning and let's get this out. Sometimes that love is just this radical standing ovation on your, on your behalf. Let God applaud you. His love is all those things. Just let him step into that process that's probably got some pain in it to love you. And then you will love you and you will love everyone around you incredibly effortlessly. Um, I want to read this last thing over you because I believe that as you come to know and believe God's love for you, this will be true of your, your life, your posture. And it talks a lot about the New Testament putting on Christ, taking off the old man and putting on the new man, the new woman. Well, this is some character traits. It's, it's kind of taken, I wrote it as a paraphrase out of Isaiah 61 but a lot of other scripture verses are in here. Um, but if you think about your outfit and you think about what you're going to wear in the morning and how many changes and how fickle even that can be, right? <coughs> I just heard about rentherunway.com. If anyone's heard of this. And so I just rented my first dress and had to pick and do all this kind of stuff. So it got me thinking about, man, we, there's so much thought to what we wear, what we portray, right? And love, if you will let God's love fall on you, it's like an outfit. And you wear it the rest of your life. You never take it off. You live in and out of this incredible robe, an incredible, just royal place of love. And so in that, you, you have these garments that you get to wear in replace of the rags that you've previously worn. The garment of hope, where there have been rags of fear. When you come to know and believe his love, you can have the garment worn by you of love, where there has been rags of hate. You can have divine friendship for the rags of human loneliness. You can have joy in God for the rags of sorrow from sin. You can have inward healing and wear that as clothes where there has been rags of a soul that's been sick. 
you could have sexual purity restored from the rags of seductive defeats from the past. You can have freedom for the rags of bondage. You can have peace from the rags of unrest where there's previously been clothes of confusion. You can have godly contentment over the rags of worldly envy. You can have purposeful meaning in life where there have been rags of just fleeting pleasure. Knowing his love and believing it will create fullness where there has been emptiness, beauty where there has been ugliness, praise where there has been heaviness. You will have identity where there has been rags of insecurity, faith where there have been clothes and robes of doubt. And you will wear satisfaction where there has only been clothes of want. Who doesn't want that? Who wouldn't want to wear that for the rest of their life? And that's exactly what his love guarantees and promises. Set on you all those things. This is what I have to give you for free. Free to you. Cost my son. Free to you, though. Receive and believe what you may think you already know. Receive and believe that. So I'm just going to play this song over you as an invitation of God. I want you to hear it as God singing this over you. Um, and then when this song is ended, it'll, it'll go to another one. And, oh, what? and we all know that the other one, I just want us to stand and we'll, we'll end singing um, This One Thing Remains. So let me play this song. And, and during this time, and this is what I even did when I hear this song, I asked God, First of all, I still myself, okay, Psalm 46.10. I still myself, I still my mind, and let him be God in this moment. And the second thing I do is I ask him, Jeremiah 33.3, I call to him to reveal his love for me again, to crash over me again, to give me that word picture, to fellowship with me in my mind over his love for me. And so I would invite you to do the same. <laughs> 